0: This episode is sponsored by Fall or Dodge in Hell by Neal Stephenson. If you could live forever, if you could cheat death with science and money, well, death would not be pleased. New from Neal Stephenson, the number one New York Times bestselling author of Reamde and Seven Eves, comes the wildly inventive new science fiction thriller Fall or Dodge in Hell. Read Fall or Dodge in Hell by Neal Stephenson on sale now from Morrow, wherever books are sold. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 317. We're recording on Thursday, June 13th, 2019. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Amanda Nelson while Jeff is out on vacation. And we're coming to you from bookriot.com.
1: Are you allowed to take vacations when you're the CEO? You know, I think... Everyone needs vacation, Samantha. Fair. Fine, fine. Whatever. It's fine. We
0: encourage a culture in which people rest.
1: Except he's terrible at it. He's probably got a <laughs> no. laptop with him right now. <laughs> That's true. But he's at least pretending to take a vacation. True. Now y'all know a thing about Jeff. He's
0: bad at vacation. Jeff is somewhere with a secret spreadsheet mm-hmm. as we record this.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't we all, though? We all have secret spreadsheets. We do, but I don't take them on vacation. No, same. Nope. (laughs) No, I don't bring my computer with me. My phone goes in a drawer. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Get that unplug. One of these days, I don't know, maybe when Book Riot is another eight years older, Jeff will have learned to turn it off. (laughs) Then again, maybe that's why he's the CEO.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Could be.
0: How are you? It's lovely to have you here. Thank
1: you. I am great. It uh is hasn't stopped raining for like a week. So I'm just trudging through, like waiting for that to no longer be the case. I'm
0: mm-hmm. surviving. Yeah, surviving summer, reading some books. The swamp. I am reading some books. I'm reading a lot of books. Excellent. Well, before we get into the week's news, lots of juicy things. <laughs> This week, including some things that just occurred this morning before we got ready to record. Um, Why don't you tell me about our first sponsor?
1: Alrighty, our first sponsor. I'm doing my, I don't know what the voice that is. That's like Delilah After Dark. Our first sponsor is Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, (laughs) which I don't feel like I need to tell you. You know who wrote that book. It's John Green. So in Turtles All the Way Down, 16-year-old Aza had never intended to pursue the mystery of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett. There's a name for you, Russell Pickett. Does he own several oil rigs? I'm going to guess yes. But there's a $100,000 reward at stake, and her best friend Daisy wants to investigate. So together... They navigate the short distance that separate them from Russell Pickett's son, Davis, and begin to investigate the mystery of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett. Of course, we all know who John Green is. This is his, like, long-awaited novel after The Fault in Our Stars, who won a bunch of awards for looking uh, for Alaska and, aforementioned, Fault in Our Stars. And this new book, Turtles All the Way Down, shares Aza's story with unflinching clarity. It is a novel of love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. That sounds really nice. Thanks, John. So that's Turtles All the Way Down by John Green.
0: All right. Well, the big news last week was Barnes & Noble reaching an agreement with the uh, hedge fund Elliott Advisors investment firm um, to be purchased to go private again uh, and taken over by James Daunt, who is planning to move to the U.S. to you know, do what he did for Waterstones here for Barnes & Noble, hopefully give them some new life, point the ship in the right direction once more, all those things that Mm -hmm. uh, we are certainly hoping will happen for Barnes & Noble. I think we've established that the continuation of Barnes & Noble is good for books and readers and sort of Mm -hmm. the general state of things. That's uh, the story is getting more interesting this week because it was reported that ReaderLink, another company, um, has, decided to make an offer has made an offer no one connected to barnes and noble or reader link will comment on this but publishers weekly has a report that reader link is maybe going to create a bidding war here uh it is assumed based on what we know about the barnes and noble and Elliott advisors deal that reader link would have until the end of june 13th which is today when we're recording it so by the time y'all are listening to this Something might have happened um, to make a new offer. Uh, if Barnes and Noble reaches an agreement with someone who's not Elliott Advisors, there's a keep shop provision in the deal. That would mean that Barnes and Noble would basically have to pay Elliott Advisors four million dollars to break up. It's if, they, if something happens after June 13th, which again, maybe it will have by the time you hear this, the breakup fee would be $17.5 million in cash. So,
1: Why don't I get paid that much when I break up with people? <laughs> <laughs> Dating the wrong hedge fund managers, I guess. I date zero hedge fund managers. You know, there's time
0: though. There is. If you're listening to this and you know an eligible hedge, <laughs> hedge fund, fund manager, manager.
1: Who lives in Richmond, Virginia, weirdly. <laughs> That's weird.
0: The Book Riot podcast is a full-service <laughs> media vehicle, and apparently now we are matchmakers. Very
1: useful <laughs> audience.
0: <No. laughs>
1: I love this, because ReaderLink is huge and scary, and I think that this would be a lot more interesting than water- than turning Barnes & Noble into Waterstones. Like, mm. my my chaos-neutral Dungeons & Dragons chart <laughs> makes me want this to happen just to see what happens.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah, I want to I want to also watch a bidding war unfold because it's pretty surprising given the state of Barnes & Noble over the last few years that there would be a bidding war <laughs> for it.
1: Yeah. So for um, those of you who don't know, ReaderLink distributes books to not bookstores. So like they distribute books to Target and Walmart and warehouse clubs is what this article says, but that means, like, Costco. And Target and Costco move some freaking units. Like, they move books. And for that infrastructure to own Barnes & Noble would be, like, super interesting what would happen. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I think it would be super interesting as well. This whole thing, even if it's just rumors, has been great for Barnes & Noble's stock price. I bet. Uh, on May 30th shares were trading at 4.31 a share they rose to 5.96 on June 6th following the report of Elliott's offer and then with the report that ReaderLink is going to make a play for the chain the stock price rose to 6.80 a mm. share so an increase of 50% in their share price in the last couple of weeks just because of this discussion um, i guess by next week we'll know mm. what's going to happen
1: Godspeed, Barnes & Noble.
0: Good luck, Barnes & Noble. We <laughs> we look forward to hopefully talking about better news soon. Mm-hmm. How about our next follow-up?
1: Um, so this is a further chapter in the Drag Queen Story Hour in Texas situation um, where, you know, Drag Queen Story Hour was basically canceled in Austin, right? Like they stopped doing mm-hmm. it for a variety of reasons. Um, and now a progressive church has taken it over, kind of, but they're not – like the headline's a bit misleading. Progressive Church steps in to host drag Queen Story Hour in Texas Library blah blah blah. But they're they're not hosting it in the li- in the in the church. They're hosting it in the library. They're just closing the rest of the library while it's going on to keep the protesters out.
0: Yeah, it's, this is a really clever workaround, Uh I think. The, the group, um, which is called, the church is called Open Cathedral, and they have rented a conference room in the library to host. The event, the library has been very careful to say that allowing the church to use the conference room does not constitute an endorsement of viewpoints expressed by the participants mm. um, from anyone in the city, um, that the rental agreement and rental requests are honored on a first come, first serve basis. So they're basically backing off like one step to say public libraries provide resources to our community on a first come, first serve basis, and the members of this church requested this room, and this is the thing that they're choosing to do with it, the library anticipates protests. And so they have, as you said, closed the rest of the facility during that event, they're going to have a designated area outside to allow for peaceful assembly. And that's anticipated to be coming from the Texas chapter of Mass Resistance, which describes itself as a pro-family activist organization. However, they're labeled as an anti-LGBT hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. So you can do the math on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know.
1: I was trying to think about whether or not, whether I would take my kids Mm. to this. And like Mm -hmm. Drag Queen Story Hour, as it was before it became this huge controversial thing, absolutely. I would take them too. But would I take them to a locked door story hour knowing that like banana pants hate groups were going to be standing outside? I I don't know. I I don't know. I'd like to think that I would, but also I'm a weenie, so like maybe I wouldn't because that's Well, really I mean that
0: becomes like a really complex conversation to have yeah. with your kids, right? Yeah, like Yeah. You've got these open-minded, lovely children that would have a blast at drag queen story hour. Like I'm in this very moment wishing that I could watch your specific children go to drag queen story. I would love it. It would be so much, but right. If you have to walk them past like a protest line of hateful things and who knows what they would hear or see, like, you know, of course they're going to hear and see those things in the world at some point, but like, do you want to have that conversation on a Saturday morning when you're going to the library?
1: I mean, like, yeah, like, is the, I wouldn't take them to, like, I wouldn't walk them past a Westboro Baptist right. Church picket line. So, like, what I walk them past? I don't know. It's just compl- hashtag I complicated.
0: Yeah. Um, happily, the church officials weren't expecting a, a huge response, but they have seen more than 2,000 people flood to the website to express interest in attending. They're anticipating about 150 people will actually attend the news story hour, and they're – you know, confident here that it's about a community that has more diversity than politicians realize. And they're expressing that it's about a world that's changing and people who want to be more loving than people who are saying, be quiet and sit down. Uh, So good stuff from minister Ryan Hart at Mm -hmm. open cathedral. Good job to them. I think, you know, there's uh, there's also a group, a liberal group, called ATX Resistance Action that's planning a kid-friendly counter-protest at the time of the event to show support as well. So, like, there are, I guess, a couple opportunities and different ways you could go. Like, I kind of think the best case is just a million adults who can handle these complicated things mm-hmm. show up to the library in support of this event.
1: Yeah. Um, or, like – Stand in front of the protesters' line and, and like, block the yeah. view of it so that the kids can't see it when they're walking in. Like, that, I don't know. I'm thinking about this from, in like, with my clinic escort brain of, like, mm. what do we do to keep the patients from having to interact or see or hear the, uh, yeah. the protesters? And, like, singing You Are My Sunshine at the top of our voices is a thing that we have to do sometimes. And, like, that would be kind of funny if, like, a chorus of supportive adults just showed up at the picket line and started singing funny kid songs. Mm. I
0: don't know. Or just like the whole book from Rent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing.
0: Yeah, I I feel so torn about this and I don't have kids either because obviously we want these events to continue and for Mm -hmm. public libraries to be able to host community groups that reflect the members of their community and that serve them and when you're talking about 150 people attending an event like that's an event that your community wants and wants to support but it seems like the magic of this particular chapter of Drag Queen Story Hour is probably lost Mm -hmm. like that experience is not going to be you know, purely the experience of the, like a joyful story hour with people who are drag
1: queens. And that's it the, has all this kind weight. of like the not irony. I guess irony of it is that this hate group on their Facebook page says that they're protesting in order to protect the innocence of children. <laughs> but the thing that would rot that's going to rob these kids of their innocence is seeing them yelling and like making this out to be something that very obviously isn't like it was a magical fun thing for kids and now they have turned it into this mm-hmm. horrible thing that's going to make kids feel unsafe and afraid and ask questions that they're not ready to hear answers for you know like that it's their fault <laughs> obviously
0: yeah and I think it puts the drag queen story hour folks in a really damned if you do damned if you mm-hmm. don't position because if they back down then it looks to this other group like they've won mm-hmm. and um and but there are great reasons you, there are very good like justifications for deciding to cancel this event if they were just to decide to do that but also you continue to run it and it's not really the thing they want to be doing you know yeah. this is not the way you want this event to go um anyway that's what's going on there if you person. haven't uh, listened. There's also an annotated episode about the history and development of Drag Queen Story Hour with one of the founders. So that's a thing that you can check out too. Um, while we're shaking our fists at mm-hmm. people, this morning a story broke on the Daily Beast with receipts like, mm-hmm. whoa. Um, Tarpley hit is the reporter who is breaking the story that emails from Nicholas Sparks, who runs the epiphany school. It's a Christian academy that he founded in North Carolina about a decade ago. Um, these emails reveal that he has spent quite a while, um, not only trying to, the headline says trying to ban LGBT clubs and student protests, but like engaging in allegedly some other pretty problematic, Mm -hmm behaviors. Uh, The Academy's former headmaster and CEO, Saul Benjamin, uh, is locked in a legal battle with Nicholas Sparks. He has been locked in this battle for five years. He alleges that um, Sparks' displayed a pattern of harassment racism and homophobia and that nicholas sparks and members of the school board uh the board for this private school not the public school board unapolog- uh, quote unapologetically marginalized bullied and harassed members of the school community whose religious views and or identities did not confirm to their religiously driven bigoted preconceptions
1: um just out there with the b word just put it oh. out there
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Nicholas Sparks rejected the claims in a 29-page declaration to the court, but emails that the Daily Beast has obtained show him repeatedly taking issue with Saul Saul Benjamin's attempts to make the school inclusive to people of all faiths, races, and sexualities. And Nicholas Sparks did not comment um, for this story. So you can click this link in the show notes. You can read uh, these email exchanges for... Yourself. Um, you know, this one's tricky because it's a private school, and private schools are not subject to the same kinds of non discrimination. Like, private entities are not subject to the same kinds of non discrimination policies that public entities are. So, like, Nicholas Sparks is completely allowed to have a private Christian school that doesn't have a club for gay kids. Um, so, I think the real point here is. Like, is uh notifying Nicholas Sparks's, you know, very large fan base that huh. this is the kind this is the person that they're dealing with or the person that they are supporting. Mm-hmm. If money goes his way, like obviously you and I, and I think a large contingent of people <laughs> who read Book Riot um would disagree with Sparks's beliefs and ideas here. Um, but in terms of like legality, he hasn't like harassment obviously but in terms of the ideas about like not having LGBT clubs like that's his purview at his own private school
1: yeah the um, race stuff though I think might be a little bit more tricky because yeah. he directly interfered with the headmaster's attempts to diversify the schools racially and Sparks said allegedly you know asterisk on all this that the the reason why the school didn't have any black students is because they can't do the academic work Hmm. which Okay. And, like, using that as your logic to interfere with someone's attempts to recruit more black students to your school. I feel, I mean, I, obviously I'm no lawyer, like, at all. But, uh, I'd sue him. <laughs> I would. <laughs> and, then, and, like, you know, cause, because he, he went on to, when Benjamin showed up at some event with the president of the local NAACP chapter, Nicholas Sparks told him he had brought disrepute to the school. Yeah. So, I don't...
0: When one of these emails, like there's a lot here and this link really did just show up like 30 minutes before we started recording. So I haven't read through all of them. (laughs) Yeah, the the rage is fresh. Um, But one of these emails shows Nicholas Sparks and Saul Benjamin having a disagreement about whether they should have specifically called out, like, you know, specifically said that they respect and don't discriminate against members of the LGBTQ community or if they should have just left it as Sparks, it looks like in this email would have preferred as just saying or other like protected classes Mm. so um right like you can still get in trouble i I think for discriminating against members of any protected group in terms of like who's allowed to come through your doors Mm -hmm. um but in terms of like just saying they can't have a club i think that's a a different situation Yeah, and he can
1: hide pretty easily behind religious freedom stuff mm -hmm. uh, with the clubs but you can't hide behind that for racial discrimination right so what what what's he gonna do there? I don't know. Like, there's no recourse here for him, right? Um, at least not not PR wise. Legally, who knows what he'll come up with? But ooh, yeah. And
0: you know, like we can only speculate about how the Daily Beast obtained these emails. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it was not from Nicholas Sparks, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it may be. I would guess at this point, five years into this legal battle, Saul Benjamin might not have much hope about how the legal situation is going to go. And if you can't win in the court of like actual justice, maybe you can attempt to win in the court of rightness, the Mm -hmm. court of public opinion. And when this came out, On our contributor Slack, someone said, you know, I wonder about how many people in Nicholas Sparks' fan base will really be upset about this. Like, Mm -hmm. don't their views already pretty closely align with his? But I think like, I mean, this guy sells millions Millions, and millions of books and they get turned into popular movies. And most people are not like passionately closely following the personal lives of the authors that they read, especially when you're talking about an author who's like in every airport bookstore so i think this is really a move to knock nicholas sparks off of his public pedestal Mm
1: -hmm. and i support it i agree like i don't think that people who really like a walk to remember or going, you know or whatever are going to necessarily know who nicholas sparks is like once a book becomes hugely popular it it just it becomes distant from the author and then once that becomes a movie it becomes even more distanced from the author so right You know, I mean, like, if you go to ask somebody who just saw Captain Marvel what they think about, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick, they're probably gonna be like, who, you know? Right. So they might not even know who this dude is. And mm, I don't disagree with the premise of that thought that, like, his dedicated fans probably align with these values that he obviously has. Um, Because his books are... How to say? um, His books are really enforce outdated gender roles and have no Mm -hmm. brown people in them whatsoever. So people who are like into that kind of story aren't going to care that he feels these ways about.
0: Yeah. It's very like quote unquote traditional romance of with all those, with all the value sorts of things implied, like the sneaky thing here, like the, one of the insidious things about I think the way Nicholas sparks is books work is you know there's not like racism on the page Mm -hmm. there's no one ranting there aren't like male characters ranting about feminism on the page (laughs) or like women are you know too uppity these days or anything (laughs) it's just that the characters in the books are very traditional as you said like they follow very traditional gender roles the it's all relatively Mm -hmm. chaste. once they get uppity
1: they die of cancer right there's like
0: a lot of sort of implied conventional like conservative christian values without the characters spelling those values out like Mm -hmm. i have read a couple nicholas sparks books not all of them but i don't remember any characters like you know pledging abstinence until marriage on the page but you see a lot of like relatively chaste Mm -hmm. relationships where those values come through and yeah i think it's totally possible that I believe it that a large chunk of his audience probably shares those beliefs, but I think probably a large chunk of the audience just hasn't even thought about it, yeah. like and like this doesn't is the even story, he is
1: yeah, huh, like doesn't know who he is,
0: yeah, or like this is the story that we've heard over and over from readers. This book right has talked more about inclusivity and diversity in publishing is like if you're if you're not if it's not called to your attention how like white and conventional the books you're reading are, and you're not like naturally disposed to go looking for ways to be more socially just in your reading you just haven't even thought about it and Mm -hmm. people who are just like randomly picking up a book in target or the airport bookstore um are are looking for like It's the thing we hear all the time, right? Like, I just want to read a good story. Mm -hmm. They're looking for... It's in my backpack. (laughs) Right. Like this nice... I'm just going to take a nice little romance and read it on the beach. Um, And Nicholas Sparks is a known quantity. Like, you know exactly what you're getting if you've read any of his books before. And even if you don't know his name, all the covers look the same. Mm -hmm. So you can be like, oh, this looks familiar. It's like that other thing that I read. And um, so I think in that way, like, this is a real attempt hopefully this story will go big to you know sort of make it less likely for him to continue being successful in this same way to call to call more attention to who he is and to what you're supporting when Mm -hmm. you put money in his pocket yep yeah it kind of feels like an extension not extension but like it's tangential to um the me too stuff of like oh by the way this author that you've loved turns out to have Assaulted women, so maybe you don't want to buy his books anymore. Yeah. That kind of stuff.
1: I think, yeah, it's just not surprising. No. Based on what we know about him already. Which is not, like, all anecdotal about how he's, like, rude to fans at signings and refuses to acknowledge that he writes romance novels, like... He just doesn't seem like a fun dude <laughs> and then you combine that with the the ways in which his books are very purposefully shaped to have a particular mm-hmm. narrative and then this comes out this morning and i'm like yeah that sounds right
0: yeah and there's stuff like this environment at the school does not sound good uh-huh. accordingly uh, or according to the piece All of the tension really began in October of 2013, when Saul Benjamin began to hear reports that students had been asking teachers questions about sexuality. Um, According to Benjamin's complaint, the kids had been gathering to discuss their own identities and orientations. And when word spread of the group, Benjamin said he began to receive complaints about bullying from the the students who were gathering. Two of the students that were accused of bullying were sons of the school's administrators. Mm -hmm. Um, Another was a son of an influential parent and was the vice president of the student senate and the students including the student senate vice president allegedly told their classmates they wanted to start quote homo cost Hmm. wonderful Mm -hmm. so just a lot of gross stuff here Mm
1: -hmm.
0: about Nicholas Sparks and what he's participating in Uh, click the link read the emails let's all go take a shower
1: yeah (laughs) Maybe take your Nicholas Sparks books to Goodwill. I don't know. You do you.
0: (laughs) Why don't we uh, freshen up with a sponsor? (laughs) Okay.
1: It has water implied in the title. Great. Okay. So that's me. I'm going to talk about it. It's In at the Deep End. I said that weird. In at the Deep End by Katie Davies. This is as charming as Bridget Jones's diary, as funny as The Office, and as racy as Fifty Shades of Grey. That's so much name-dropping right there. That's so many things that you can be familiar with. Charming as Bridget Jones, funny as The Office, and racy as Fifty Shades of Grey. Funny as The Office? Okay. I'm suspicious. I'll give it a chance. (laughs) It's a sexual awakening for Julia, the main character, that is as sexy as it is charming. So this is a book that explores how we come to terms with who we are and what we want. A love letter to modern London, as the author observes her generation with razor-sharp wit, tempered with warmth, fresh and funny, but also full of tenderness and wisdom about being young and in love with with life. Excuse me. It's sex-positive embraces female sexuality, timely, and doesn't shy away from anything. Uh, Perfect for this moment as a a time when women are increasingly and more publicly celebrating their sexuality and their right to have it. Uh, Katie, no, excuse me, Kate, Kate Davies is a writer and editor of children's books. This is not a children's book, in case you're wondering. She's also a former burlesque dancer. That's interesting. So go check this out. There's nothing in there about the plot, but I feel like you don't need any. Fifty Shades of Grey meets Bridget Jones meets The Office. Like, What could that possibly be except like really... A ride. A ride is what that sounds like. No pun intended. So, <laughs> In at the Deep End by Kate Davies. Go check that out. Thanks for sponsoring us. <laughs> Nicholas Sparks would hate
0: that book. He
1: would. <laughs> Let's send him some copies. <laughs> this is my new metric for when I pick romance to read. What, Sparks hate this.
0: It's like glitter bombing, except you send like the filthiest erotic romance you can find to Nicholas sparks's Why house. Did
1: people sent it to the school. Don't do this, y'all. Oh, I'm no. just saying. No. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> if somebody said, or just like a million copies of, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of like a really good queer team, like Aristotle and Dante. You yeah, know, I was or, just thinking said, that. You know, some Becky Albertali, just send right. them a bunch of. They probably wouldn't
0: let the kids have it. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, oh, what is the one where the girl is? Uh, the girls fall in love at conversion camp. Um, they made a movie of it. Uh, I can't remember.
1: Cameron Post. Yes, Miseducation of Cameron Post.
0: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, moving. We're on. halfway. Th- <laughs> yeah, moving on. We're halfway through the year, and the good folks at Goodreads have dropped some juicy data about the, the hit books, as they're calling them, of the first half of 2019. And they're actually telling us how they determined it this time. It's amazing. So they found the books that, that, that have the highest reader anticipation, which they've measured by the number of times a book has been added to want to read shelves. Mm. Then they factored in the number of reader reviews, as well as the average review for each book published in the U.S. through early June. Interesting. Yes. And
1: Uh, no sales data.
0: Yeah, there's no sales data. Um, Well, but you know, they're owned by Amazon. Right. And Amazon doesn't tell us anything about sales data. Um, But it would be interesting if they factored in sales data. Maybe, you know, Goodreads, I think, does still operate like relatively separately from Amazon. So Mm -hmm. they're just trying to measure anticipation.
1: (laughs) It's a rocky horror gif right there. (laughs) They (laughs) quiver. which books
0: are people this is like which books are people most excited about maybe interest rather than intent like purchasing a book is a different well if they are doing
1: the number of reader reviews then that is people who have that's true read it one assumes i mean there is that goodreads um phenomenon where people like review books they haven't read yet by just talking about how excited they are about it but i guess that would have the same effect like yeah anyway so what's number one
0: Number one is The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides.
1: I've never even heard
0: of that. It's a psychological mystery.
1: Oh, that's unsurprising. Okay. Yeah. Number two
0: is Normal People by Sally Rooney, which I've seen all over Instagram. Mm -hmm. It has a couple different covers. And at this point, I'm like, Mm -mm. just stubbornly not going to read it because it's been all over Instagram.
1: (laughs) Yeah, same. It was, was this, this was the one that was shortlisted for the Women's Prize, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I uh, didn't number- get it in time
1: from the library, so I didn't read it. I usually read the long list, but I didn't get it this time. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it's great. Hmm. It probably. I haven't not read is any great. of the top. I haven't read. I've read one book on the top ten. Mm. Same. <laughs> which one? Mine
0: was Daisy Jones and the Six by oh. Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is number three.
1: Mine was Black Leopard Red Wolf, which is number nine. All right.
0: Yeah. Other things on the top ten. Number four is The Wicked King by Holly Black. Um, number five is An Anonymous Girl by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. Six is Angie Thomas's On the Come Up, which was her follow up to uh, The Hate You Give. Number seven is King of Scars by Leigh Bardugo. Eight is Kate Quinn's The Huntress. Nine is Marlon James's Black Leopard Red Wolf, as you mentioned. And number 10 is No Exit by Taylor Adams. Lots of women yeah. on this list.
1: And it's not all white.
0: It's not all white. On the Come Up, we've got Marlon James. Um, else here is although the huntress
1: is part of that um big publishing thing that's happening right now books about world war ii with women facing away from you on the cover yeah why i mean like books about world war ii i get like it's a thing people like to read about women facing away from you on the cover has been a cover trend for forever Mm -hmm. why are they now suddenly combined (laughs) why
0: why And uh, right down the screen from that, number 11, Pam Jenoff's The Lost Girls of Paris yes. is set in that same era with, like, it could be the exact same model on the cover facing away in, like, a 1940s style. She's skirt wearing the same suit. hat. Yep. They only had one kind of hat. Just in one, the hat. 40s, one hat. You get one
1: hat. Ooh, the bride test. I didn't get all the way down here. Until yeah. I was 25. Yeah,
0: the bride test is 28. Queenie by Candace Cardi Williams is on here. Like, interesting mix of genres um 99% mine by Sally Thorne I believe is also a romance like there's a there's you know it's not one note mm.
1: it's all right The Priory of the Orange Tree I'm reading through the comments now most of the comments are people complaining about how the year is not actually halfway over <laughs> like no one's actually talking about the book <laughs>
0: oh, Welcome to the internet where everyone is pedantic
1: I know page I'm at the bottom of page 1 of the comments and Almost all of them are, but it's only June. Yeah, good job, guys. Like One person
0: is like, this is not halfway through the year. And then someone else says, when would halfway through the calendar year be then? Just and someone count. responds, at the end of June, when six of the 12 months have passed.
1: All right. Message number 10 is like an analysis of their methodology, which I appreciate. Okay. And then I can't. That's it somebody arguing with them. <laughs> I read a lot of self-pubbed authors. Somebody is upset that there's no self-published books on this list. There will never be self-published books on this list. Right, <laughs> and that's ever.
0: not Goodreads' fault.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not Goodreads' fault. Um, okay, interesting. I've not heard of, I'm surprised at how many of these I haven't heard of. Um, the Lost Roses, number 25, World War II, same hat, facing away. Two women.
0: <laughs> Two. Why? You know, maybe more interesting is that there are only twenty-two comments on this.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Like, given the size of the Goodreads,
1: how many audience. users do they have? Like ten million, right?
0: Oh, uh, more, than more than that. I think when they sold, it was something like twenty-five million registered oh, users. Where did they get 10? But and it, uh, like in terms of like active daily, mm. you know, regular sign-ins, I'm not sure. They haven't. We haven't gotten a lot of Goodreads data since good old Amazon bought them.
1: Okay, what is when all is said? This is number 23. Okay, that's a dude. It's a dude facing away from you on the cover. Mm. And I don't think it's World War II, which is why I guess it gets to be a guy. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that cover looks a little too modern to be World War II.
1: Winter of the Witch, number 24. Not World War II, also fantasy. But Lady, facing away from you on the cover. Now that I've seen it, I can't unsee
0: it. (laughs) Oh, and Lost Roses, number 25. By Martha Hall Kelly. World War II. Um, yeah. It's the follow-up to The Lilac Girls, which, guess when there. that's set? Yeah.
1: Even <laughs> on, the tr- come up, on the come-up. On the come-up is like, she's not facing you.
0: Yeah, but that's a, like, power stance. Yeah.
1: But couldn't she have power stance to, like, looking at the reader?
0: We get a side profile of a woman in number 27, My Lovely Wife, by Samantha Downing, and she's holding a knife. Hmm. <laughs>
1: Daisy Jones and the Six, and Normal People, and Anonymous Girl, and The Silent Patient all have women on the covers looking at you.
0: And the bride Test: the woman's facing forward yeah. but looking a little down. Yeah.
1: This is not really. anything. Like, it's just something that I, it bothers me.
0: I don't know. If you're listening to this and you're getting your master's in English lit, and you're looking <laughs> for a thesis subject, some analysis of, like how where the woman is facing on the cover relates to the tone of the book would Mm -hmm. be great. I would
1: like a comparison of that to books where men are facing you or not facing you on the Mm. cover, because I think, you know, some of the reason why this happens that we have characters or models on book covers who aren't facing the reader is it's like a Mary Sue thing. And so you can put yourself in the position of that character, which I understand. But do we do that with books about men? Or is it just assumed that, like, men are smart enough to imagine the characters' shenanigans without needing to insert themselves into the book? But we you, don't there, give women that.
0: There are very rarely, I think, like, any depictions of male bodies on fiction book covers, now that I'm thinking of it. like
1: I'm not see- – so 99% Mine by Sally Thorne is number 15, has a man and a woman on it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a romance.
1: Um, Yeah. When all is said, number twenty three has like like cartoon guy on it.
0: And that's it. Yeah. But like Harlan Coben's book on this list, no figures on the cover. Mm. Um Marlon James's book on this list, no figures on the cover. I think Taylor Adams, the author of No Exit, is a man, no figures on the cover of that book. What's going on Um, here? What is that? This is very interesting. We're going down a going down a path here. I know well this like there's not a women, depiction there's no depiction of like Robert Langdon on the cover of Dan Brown books that's true or I don't know Bob has read all 20 million master and commander books and those just have boats on the cover yeah like, but you
1: got Russell Crowe for that you know like you well, know that Russell Crowe out there was on, <laughs> was on a tall ship so every time <laughs> every time anyone thinks about or talks about this you point.
0: just call up your mental image of Russell Crowe, oh, Russell Crowe. Like, I actually 20 don't years know ago. if I,
1: my mental image of Russell Crowe Doing Master and Commander is from Master and Commander, or if it's from Le Mis. Like in my head, the hat he's wearing, I, that might be from <laughs> Le Mis. <laughs> oh. Russell hmm. Crowe mashup.
0: <laughs> I think my mental Russell Crowe is from the Gladiator era. That's better. That's
1: better. I like that movie. Are,
0: are you not entertained? I am. <laughs> well, that was a
1: was surprising random.
0: jaunt that we took. <laughs> You know, we should have done all the things that gave us fresh rage at once in this show. That's true. (laughs) Because this next story, this is a, um, a study out of the UK. It's from The Guardian this morning. But every year, The Guardian does an analysis of the most popular picture books published in the previous year. So this is an analysis of the top 100 picture books published in 2018 published in 2018, not just like the bestsellers in 2018. So these are new books published in 2018. And they present, quote, a white and male-dominated world to children and feature very few BAME, which is the UK uh, way of addressing diversity for Black, Asian, and minority ethnic characters. That's sort of their standardized acronym. And these books have become more biased against girls in the past year. This is an in depth analysis that they do um, from 100 best selling illustrated children's books. They use data from Nielsen Bookscan. This is the second year that The Guardian and The Observer have carried out this study. So it's a, a relatively new thing. There's not like a lot of established baseline, but last year established the baseline, and this year they're doing a comparison. 41% of characters were female, while 59% were male. They excluded characters that didn't have clear gender identification, which, you know, sometimes happens mm-hmm. with the figures in children's illustrated books. Speaking parts for male characters rose by 19%, and the number of lead roles for male characters increased by 9%. Female lead roles dropped by 7%. There were 38 male villains compared to only 10 female villains, and six of the 10 female villains appeared in a single book, (laughs) Roll Doll's Revolting Rhymes. 85% of the illustrated human characters were white. 15% were uh, black, Asian, or minority ethnic. Only five of those books featured a minority ethnic character in a lead role. And only one book depicted a disabled child. Mm. So.
1: The lack of diversity displayed in the books reflects a lack of diversity among authors and illustrators. Not a single author or illustrator of a best-selling picture book was identified as Black, Asian, or minority ethnic by The mm-hmm. Guardian. Two-thirds of the best-selling authors and illustrators were male. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> yeah. This, I was just at the library um, yesterday with my kids, who are eight. So, we're like, we're out of the picture book phase. They're very solidly into, like, middle grade stuff. Um, and... We were kind of rushed, so I was like, you know, just pick a, just pick something and let's go. And they were both like, ah, help me, because I can't, I don't have time. So I was poking around in, like, new releases, trying to find them a book that they would like. And I could not find a single new release middle grade novel that had a girl on the cover. Ugh. Not a single one. And this was one, two, four or five shelves worth. Um, so I ended up giving Rhett... A book about dragons and Atticus, like a non fiction book about science, because he's really into science stuff right now. But I like, I gave my kid a fictional beast book be- because I could not find one with a girl in it. And it is so frustrating. It's, it's especially frustrating to me because the narrative that we hear is like, You know, especially about like YA and picture books, I think especially is like they're girly, you know, like there's there's nothing out there for boys to read. And it's just trash. Like that is a trash opinion based on nonsense. And as a parent, it's very frustrating because I can't find anything. I can find plenty of books that represent my children, but I can't find any books that tell them about the world outside of their own experience. And that is so obnoxious to me. And that's my Yeah, rant. it's
0: no, that's yeah. like justified ranting. Like <laughs> this is a real problem when it's easier and more believable that a book would be about an imaginary creature mm-hmm. than about a girl. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is something I've heard about picture books before is that there are more was it, it was a couple years ago when they did this similar study that there were more books about talking animals than there were about children of color.
0: Yes. Yeah. In the US the Children's Book Council something mm-hmm. does a study every year where they look at books by and about people of color written for children, and it's always just abominably low numbers mm-hmm. um, proportionally to proportional to the population, and just in. Just abominable in general. Um, And I think that's where that number comes from about like there are more books with like talking cows in them. Mm -hmm.
1: And you know, they've gotten to the age now, my boys have, where they're starting to ask me things about other cultures because we live Mm -hmm. in a really diverse neighborhood on purpose. Their school is very diverse. They have a lot of friends in their class who, you know, like English isn't their first language. And so they'll come asking me questions about. Mexico or the Middle East, because these are the places where their friends are from. And of course, you know, as a book nerd, my reaction is like, well, let's go find some books about, you know, that culture at the library. And then I just can't. I just can't. Like, it's just white boys.
0: Yeah. So I think we don't have the numbers right now for what's happening in the US, but it's probably not very different from these popular children's picture books in the UK, and this goes to add to the pile of data, that this is a problem, not just in US publishing, but in, you know, at least Western, Mm -hmm. uh, Western countries in terms of publishing and privilege. So you can dig into the details of that if you would like. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
1: And it's not like you can't blame the librarians. It's publishers, you know, yeah. my library is probably doing the best that they can, but If the books aren't, if publishers aren't putting them out there, aren't putting out books by women and people of color about Mm -hmm. children of color and girls, then, like, what's my library supposed to do? Yeah. And what are parents supposed to do? And I'm pretty, like, I pay attention to this stuff, you know? And if I can't even find (laughs) a lot of books. And it's not like they don't exist. I'm not trying to, like, erase authors, children's authors of color out there. They do exist. My kids have probably read them all already. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I find them and I'm immediately like, read this. (laughs) Um,
0: Right. I think, like, that's just a great point, that if somebody who literally gets paid to think about books all day, and specifically to work, to create work and to do editorial stuff around diverse and inclusive Books and publishing ideas. If you can't find mm-hmm. a bunch of books about brown people and girls for your kids to read, they're not out
1: there. Yeah, they're, I mean, there are some, but you know, if your kids read really quickly um, or are voracious and they're reading in any kind of way, you're going to go through them really fast. And then you end up spending two weeks just reading books about white boys, which is fine, you know, whatever. But like, that's not how I would prefer to do things. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they're asking me questions. <sighs>
0: All right, let me tell you about our last sponsor this week, and then we'll end on a nice note. How about that? Okay. We are sponsored this week by Bombus, my faves. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think about your socks often, or if you're like me, you didn't think about your socks often, but now that I have discovered... Bombas, they've been a part of my life for a few years since Bombas has been sponsoring the show. I think about my socks like all the time, and (laughs) Bombas has raised the bar on what I want from a sock. These socks are so comfortable. They have, they're like super soft. They're all natural cotton, so it really breathes. They have this, like, the design is really cool where there's, arch support that like there's sort of a honeycomb woven section around the middle of the sock that just gives your foot a nice hug the toes are seamless so there's no like weird bunching sensation and the footbed is cushioned it's really comfortable but they're not too thick they have tons of colors i have like bright you know, zany patterns of Bombas. They have a lot of different lengths and styles. You can get your business socks from Bombas. You can get no-show socks to wear in your low-cut sneakers. There's stuff to wear to the gym. They have hiking socks. Like, I have Bombas socks now in my life for just about every occasion, and they are wonderful. Bombas are what feet daydream about, and best of all, for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. You can buy your Bombas at B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash bookriot and get 20% off your first order. That's Bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash bookriot for 20% off. Bombas dot com bookriot. Make your feet happy. Business socks. <laughs> That's why they call them business socks.
1: People don't know what we're talking about. I feel like, is that video, like, so old now that it's out of the culture? Oh, bucket? from Flight of
0: the Conchords? Yeah. I feel like it's the, maybe. We are a little old.
1: <laughs> Isn't it, the Business Time song from Flight of the Conchords has yeah, a yeah. hilarious video.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everyone should go watch it. It might be not safe for work, but it's hilarious. It's not like Taking that, out the respect. recycling, feeling sexy. <laughs>
0: it's so accurate. Well, let me tell you about our hero of the week. Hero of the and week then we'll we'll get out of here. Simon Vanderpool is a teacher at Harrison Elementary School in Lexington, Kentucky. And he is concerned about a couple of things. He wants to Support child literacy and to provide students with the opportunities to interact with male role models. His father was absent. He says he sees a lot of students dealing with not having their dads around or as involved as they should be. And he wanted to do something that would address both of these concerns. So he reached out to a barbershop. It's called Prince Cuts Barbershop uh, in Lexington to start a program called Books and Barbers. And he made this connection because one of the kids in his class, uh, the kid's dad is a barber at this shop. The shop is owned by Amir Shalash who immediately jumped on board. And the way it works is when kids come in for their haircut, they pick a book that they read out loud to the barber. Oh my god! Right? (gasps) (laughs) And then after the haircut, the kids get to keep the book that they chose for free, and they get $3 in cash, just like as an incentive. Get your haircut, make some money, bond with a positive male role model.
1: I feel like my kid, Rhett especially, would like, only cut a little bit, and then he'd take his $3 and come back 10 minutes later and be like, only (laughs) cut a little bit, and then he'd do it again.
0: How many haircuts can you stretch out reading books over?
1: <laughs> and getting paid for it. Right. That's what he that's what his concern is.
0: Yeah. And he's such a ham. Like I think kids who are hams would really enjoy this too. Like you get to read out loud to someone. But very cool. Um, Amir Shalash at Prince Cut says that the barbers love it. They're really enjoying it. The community is happy about this and about the chance to give back. The program is only about a month old. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many of the books have been given uh, from the International Book Project and public donations. So, you know, they need more books in order to keep this going. If you're interested in supporting uh, books and barbers, you can click the link in the show notes and find out how. And if you happen to live in Lexington, Kentucky, and you want to go do this, you can go to princecuts.com um, and customers pay $16 and then three of it goes to the child. So, so great.
1: They have an Xbox in the barber shop for kids.
0: Aww. It's a hangout.
1: Know your audience, my friends. I know they're yeah,
0: <laughs> and right now the program does not accept monetary donations, but there's an address in this piece where book donations can be sent. So if you're cleaning off your kids' bookshelves this summer, this is a good place to send them. Good job. Yeah. Good job, Simon Vanderpool and Amir Shalash. Good job, Lexington, Kentucky.
1: Don't say that often. <laughs>
0: That's this awesome. is not the first literacy effort that we've seen in barbershops and i think it's super smart to identify like places you've got to go anyway yeah <laughs> where you take your kid and then you can meet multiple needs at once
1: mm. and now i want there to be like a little free library in my pediatrician's office
0: oh
1: you know they put books on and stuff but mm-hmm. i don't want like my germy kid to touch stuff and then put it back
0: right and, like spread their <laughs> you would touch that book and now it's yours Yeah, now
1: you keep that forever <laughs> Keep it away from me.
0: <laughs> On that happy note, thank you for joining me this week, Amanda. You're welcome. Anytime. You can find links to all of the stories that we've talked about today at bookriot.com listen. That will be in the show notes. Thank you to our sponsors. All of the info about them is also in the show notes. And of course, if you want to dive into the nasty world of Nicholas Sparks's emails, you can do that at the Daily Beast link. If you have thoughts, questions, feedback, hit us up, podcast at bookriot.com. We'll talk to you next week.